Hi, this is Sean McCool, and this is the Laravel IO podcast. I'm here with Taylor Otwell and Matt Machuga. So uh, this is the first time that we've actually had Matt on on the podcast. So you want to say hi, Matt? Hello. So you're a regular in the Laravel support channels, and I I've known you on IRC since what Codeigniter days? Like I don't know how long, four years ago, something like that. Yeah, it's definitely been a really long time. And uh, you're also a speaker at Laracon in Amsterdam. I am. Really looking forward to that. So what are you going to be talking about? Uh, my talk's title is Objects, Testing, and Responsibilities. Um, for the most part, it's going to be a very object-oriented design-related talk. Um, there's going to be a lot of correlation on how tests can help you do that. And tying everything together is a responsibility your classes and objects are supposed to play. Um you know, like some of it's going to be focused on single responsibility, but in general, it's more of holding your objects accountable for their parts in the system. So it's going to be kind of help us get away from the flat model folder approach. Yeah, with any luck. I mean, I'm not I'm not against the flat model folder, but once your app gets to a certain size, it just gets really unmanageable. I don't know, I'm, it's supposed to be like a pragmatic approach, so I will be um, kind of pointing out the pros and cons of each. So hopefully, that can help out a little bit. Very cool. Um, Taylor, you have announced basically that your talk is going to be on building artisan commands. Yes, it's going to be on uh, just kind of tips and tricks for building artisan commands and kind of how I look at commands because um, I kind of tend to look at commands like controllers where they should have like very limited responsibility and then call like other domain objects in your system. So I'll kind of get into that a little bit and uh talk about how I kind of keep my commands clean and uh, reusable across the system. I think there's probably some crossover there also with events and queues. Yeah. Because uh, you can, it's it's really easy, I, guess, I think, to maybe put a little bit too much of data or too much logic inside of a queue listener or something. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited. It's about one week, I think one week today, from the beginning of Laracon. And... We are looking to have something like 180 people, I think, show up, which is... That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Are the tickets uh, sold out yet, or are they still going? Um, they're still going. I'm I'm not sure that we're going to sell out. Uh, I hope we do. Uh, it's always nice to have more people. And, you know, when it comes to conferences, the attendees, you know, the people who show up, that's where all the... Uh, you know, where a lot of the value of the conference is, so the more people, the better. Um, so is that 180 people counting speakers or no? Um, it is counting speakers. Uh, sponsors are, it's kind of a strange situation because, you know, we can't just say, hey, everybody, make sure that you redeem all of your tickets. And because we don't know who's coming necessarily or not, there's still people trying to decide whether they're sending people or, or whatnot. And so, you yeah. know, we don't have a really accurate count right now. Uh, we ha- we sent out a lot of codes with, with you know, sponsor tickets or um, promo code ticket or, or promo tickets for people who won raffles and whatnot that you just don't know what's going to happen with that. Yes, but we're already, that's like double the size of Laracon US. And Laracon US felt, I mean, you know, there's a good number of people there once you all got in one room. Yeah, and the venue was really well-sized, so the venues. Yeah, so it awesome. definitely felt full. Uh, we're, we talked to the venue, the people who run the venue, BIM House, and they said it feels full, it feels really comfortable at about 100 people. Less yeah. than 100 people, it feels kind of empty. So we've well cleared that yeah. mark. That'll be cool. But there's going to be a lot of stuff that people aren't expecting. I don't, I don't want to talk about you know, everything, but we kind of went 
out of our way to make make some stuff pretty interesting for people. Yeah. That's going to be cool. Now, have we have you talked about the um, kind of the support tools around the conference as far as interacting with speakers and like the messaging stuff you talked about? Can we talk about that? Uh, yeah, we can. So we have a sponsor, Conventica, and they built us an application that's on Android and iOS. And I'm not sure if it's on the actual App Store, um, the Apple App Store right now, but it will be by the time it's, uh, it comes to the conference. And everybody will, all the attendees will have. Um, user and passwords they can log in and they'll be able to you know have maps to everything at the venue uh, have all the schedule stuff information about the talks and the speakers they'll be able to send messages to other attendees and you know there's there's a lot of really interesting functionality in this thing and so we're really happy that they were able to you know help us out and kind of sponsor us and bring that functionality to us. I think it's really cool. And we'll be able to blast information out to everyone um, who's using the app. So, hey, there's this really cool venue that's open and there's, you know, enough room for a bunch of people to come, come hang out, something like that. Yeah, that's going to be so crazy. Yeah. Are we meeting up? uh, Can we talk about the after party at all or no? Uh, Yeah, so the thing about the after party is we worked really hard to try to figure out how to do an after party um, because at... Laracon, there was a really awesome after party that was covered by Userscape and everything. I'm I'm not sure exactly who did it all that, so I apologize. But it was a really cool after party, so we wanted to do something like that here as well. But what we found out is that if you don't know how many people are going to show up and you just guess at 180, 160, you know, something like that, it becomes kind of crazy to find a venue for that many people. And so, yeah. Yeah, so we um, basically decided just to we're going to do a social hour at the end of each day, and you know provide drinks and everything for everyone, and at the venue because uh, the venue has this really cool kind of bar area, and so uh, we're going to do that at the end of both days, and then just let people kind of you know funnel through the city the way that they want to at the end at, during the evenings. Yeah, because there's a uh, an airline conference. I don't know where it is in correlation to uh, Bim House, but it seems like it, you know maybe they'd be down to meet up somewhere if we find a local pub. You know, I talked to them on Twitter, and I was like, you know, contact me. Um, we'll talk about it, and I haven't heard back, so maybe we should follow up with that. Yeah, it could be fun. Have PHP and Erlang together at last. Gosh, <laughs> a love story. <laughs> uh, so... Really quick, I'd like to talk about a few things having to do with Laracon, because now that we're so close, I have a lot more information. Um, first of all, the weather is going to be pretty hot. Temperature is around 30 degrees, which is somewhere around 85, 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, and it definitely could rain, because Holland, you know, is known for just rain all the time. So, you know, keep that in mind. You might wear, a, like, a jacket or something that you can protect yourself from the rain. To get from the central station to the venue, there's, you know, five-minute walk. So you, if it's raining, you will be walking through the rain. So something to consider there. Um, other than that, I mean, the weather should be warm and mostly not raining during the that weekend. And so that's pretty cool. The weather could change at any point in time, I suppose. But the extended forecast is looking positive. In addition, um, we, like I said, we'll have all that map information on the application so that everybody who, who has their cell phones can use it to find their way to and from. But uh, additionally, we are going to put a map up on the main website so that you can search out, you know, how to get to the venue from wherever you're lo- located at with Google Maps. Um, but it's really easy as well. So it's just the BIM house, and you can look at it on a map and just know how to walk there. So it's super simple. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think that's that's mostly it. Um, Somebody told me the is it pronounced Shipple the airport? Hip- it, well. It's Skipple, basically. <laughs> Yeah, somebody told me it's really elegant and makes Atlanta look small. Any information on that? Well, Schiphol is really an awesome airport because it's it's di- it's directly on top of a train station, basically. Oh, nice. So um, you can it's the way it's shaped and the way it's built is super efficient for getting people through customs and you know onto their train. So you just head basically to this general area where there's um, stairs down to the trains and there's big. Um, you know, signs, electronic signs that show when the trains are coming and everything. And if you need money, then you can just go to an ATM and use your, like, American debit card uh, without too much terrible fees. Just You might want to try to pull out all the euros that you want right up front. Um, but in addition to that, there's um, currency-changing places called GWK. And so if you see a GWK, you know that's a place you can go trade currency. So you don't really have to have euros before you board the plane. You can do that once you come. And there's, you know, places all in the, both Schiphol and Central Station and, you know, all over the place. Uh, in addition, everybody everywhere mostly speaks English. So if you go into a fast food place, you might not be able to use English. But otherwise, everyone's using English everywhere. And it, it's just a, such an international city that, you know, they're used to dealing with people who speak English, so it's not a, not an issue whatsoever. So just use English, don't feel bad about it, and, um, you know, people will be glad to have your money. <laughs> That's good. Nice. Yeah, and then um, we, I think we're starting at the venue at 1 p.m. on Friday. So get lunch a little early, maybe. And head on up there and make sure that, you know, you get, leave yourself a little bit of time to get your badge and everything. We're going to have a couple people work in the front to get everybody their badges and their lanyards. And uh, we have Wi-Fi and all that stuff will be available on your badge or at least in your badge. So all the information, there will probably be like actually six or seven different things for you inside your badge. Uh, because I know that we're giving away some really cool stuff that you'll be able to redeem from from that information, some other stuff. So uh, that's cool. pretty much it, I think. If you need any, any more information, you can get a hold of us at contact at laricon.eu. Yeah, during, awesome. the downtime, during the downtime uh, for the conference, I'm really hoping to pair up with some people, just hack on anything, really. I just like the experience of it. So if you're bored, come find me. Go go code some stuff up with that. Yeah, PHP Erlang mashup. All right, cool. Um well, that was fun. Now i got to think of something else to talk about. <laughs> I guess we can just talk about me and the stuff that I've been doing. Sounds awesome. Yeah, so um, I have been building on this site called Mom Meet Mom, and it's a, it's a really cool site. It's kind of like a social network for moms to find other moms, and they can play date with their kids and everything. It's it's really cool. There's it's a, The whole mom site niche is... Um, kind of uh, like a, a really neat niche that hasn't really yeah. gotten a lot of attention from, um, you know, like professional, you know, web app developers maybe. Yeah, this is like, uh, this kind of reminds me of a story where my wife, like, she goes to Target. Well, let me preface by saying we just moved, we just moved to this new town like a year ago. And um, so we didn't have like a huge social circle outside my family. And so, like, my wife comes back from Target, like, a week after we got here, and she's like, oh, I made this new friend at Target, and we're going to, like, hang out, uh, 
you know, next week and like have a kid play date. And I'm like, how does this happen? You know what I mean? Like when I go to Target, I don't like make new guy friends and stuff. And then just the other day, it happened again. She came from her Target and she had like this new uh, play date buddy for the kids. And it's like half your social circle you just met at Target. So this mom meet mom thing is like an awesome idea because it's a real, uh, I mean, there's kind of like a real quote market for that. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, my wife and I were raising uh, two kids in Nashville, and we didn't really know any other parents. So we were restricted kind of to the people who were our neighbors. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what, you know, I walk up to a mom. Hi. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> I, I also have children. Maybe they should play together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, what, what, what's interesting is we basically, the reason I'm, I'm telling the story is because uh, of how we, you know, use Laravel to implement some stuff, but we had to uh, take a bunch of information about, you know, your family and, and you, and then we created the statistical model, um, and we run matches based on the statistical model. So it's kind of like a recommended friend type situation. Yeah. Uh, but the way we do it is we're using Laravel 4Qs, and we just, whenever somebody makes a change to their personal details that could affect their match, we throw, you know, a, a message on the queue and say uh, the listener comes and picks it up, clears that user's matches, and then just reruns the statistical model for that user, and it takes just a, you know, a second or two to do so. But yeah. to do it for all of our users would literally take like 40 minutes. Right. <laughs> so if we're doing it you know, in a loop, uh, you know, it'd be like your matches update once per hour or something, and the server is going to be loaded down. But yeah. now our, our server loads at like 0.2 and... Uh, yeah, you know, that's really slick. Yeah, and you get the matches just like that after you edit your profile. So it's really cool stuff. But the thing I like about the Laravel queues, and, and the reason I bring it up is I'm using IronIO right now because it's still free for us, basically, and I didn't have to set up anything, and this is my transition this, of this application's functionality into into using the queues. So it was a yeah. really easy transition. Now, down the road... You know, there's a good chance I'll end up with a Beanstalk instance running somewhere. Uh, And in order to to update my application to use that, I basically change a couple config files and good to go. So that's super exciting. But I'm I'm moving. I just keep finding new things I can put into the queue. Oh, you know, this is here. I I could throw that into the queue and then have it run in the background. And I'm I'm maybe a little bit too eager, but I'm I'm having a good time because in order to throw something in the queue, I literally just say, "This is the class that's the listener. Here's the data that I'm sending with the message, and that's all yeah. I'm doing. I don't have to like go and configure new things for every. I don't have to register my listeners with the system. I don't have to do anything like that. I just say, you know, have this class receive this this message, and yeah. it's good to go. Yeah, I think the queues are probably my favorite feature in Laravel four, like my favorite new feature. Just because they're so um, they're so convenient, and I love that like they get resolved out of the IOC container too, so like I can inject stuff into the listeners. It's, I don't know. I just really there's just something magical about it, you know, like working with the queues, even though it's kind of like a simple concept under the hood. But just like when it's working, it feels like you're really awesome, like you're an awesome programmer. Yeah, it's very cool. And there's the only thing to really be aware of is that if you are changing the way a listener works uh, locally. And it has different code than in production. You definitely want to make sure that you're you have different queues for the different environments. Yeah. Uh, wow. So Matt, I, I saw you gave a lightning talk at Steel City Ruby convention. 
I did. I had my slides break, so I didn't quite get to everything I wanted, but that was supposed to be um, a talk about the Ruby community and the way we kind of stay unified. Um, you know, like Ruby catches a lot of flack, mostly from various Rails-related things. Like a couple of years ago, everybody had the reputation of uh, snotty, snuck-up uh, hipster, pretty much. Right. I, I would say the hipster portion is probably accurate still, but um, in general, the community is, like, very loving. They're very caring. We like to help out. Um, one of my key points was that we're open source everything for the most part. Um, people creating screencasts, um, different blog posts, Rails guides are, I think, entirely community-based. I think there's a couple core members doing it, but um, it's, just, it's a very community-supported project, and I feel the same way about Laravel. Like, we're very community-based. We're very um, kind of scratch our own itch, um, very open source. Um, so I just wanted to like try to welcome the different members in the community who are coming from C Sharp or um, I think there were some Python people there as well and just kind of make them feel welcome the way that we all felt when we got in the community. Yeah, it can be pretty tough um, transitioning from other technologies or you know other other languages and kind of having to deal with all these people who know each other or who are expecting you to have some knowledge uh, about something that you're, you know, maybe not prepared for. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not something they should feel embarrassed about. Like we want, we want people new to the community to help teach other new people. Cause there's a whole bunch of things that we forget as, you know, non novice people that it makes it easier from a newbie to learn from another newbie. Um, so far yeah. I'd say that Jeffrey way is probably the best at teaching introductory material um, despite being an expert, like he has a strong grasp on how to present it to people. So that's really helpful. Yeah. And one thing that I found in my own programming is like, I learn a lot faster if I have kind of like a mentor person that like I befriended, we should maybe kind of look into that sometime, like some way to say like, you can ask this person any question, like no matter how dumb you think it is, you know? And because like when I, I remember when I was learning C sharp and stuff, I learned it so much faster because I had someone I could ask like really dumb questions about things that like should have been, you know, to him were totally obvious probably, but it just helps the process go so much smoother. If you're a little bit familiar with something, just a little bit, and you have somebody who's experienced and who's willing to talk to you and you have like 25 minutes, it's amazing what you can get done in that time. Yeah. Yeah. Because usually like, like you said, you have a little bit of grasp on what's going on, but there's just like one or two like roadblocks that like aren't clicking, you know? on how things work. And usually if someone can just spend a little bit of time with you and kind of kick down those walls, like you can make a ton of progress in a really short amount of time. I think it's exceptionally important to kind of um, point out to developers that there's, there's not really a better way to learn something than to jump into a community. Yeah. You can, you can read books and you can read blogs, uh, and you can do all of this, but in, unless you're around other people that, you know, can kind of read your mind a little bit, when, when you ask a question, they can say, well, what are you really trying to do? Or they can kind of get at what's going on and kind of get, steer you in the right direction. It, it makes such a big difference. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a, a developer in the Ruby community named Avdi Grimm, and he actually started a project named uh, Pair Program with me. It's Pair Program dot with me, or, uh, mm -hmm. whatever. You get the idea. Uh, and you put a badge on your your site or on something, or you tweet with the hashtag Pair with me. And the concept is to get people 
pair programming together or at least like teaming up. And the, the idea is you don't care about the project, um, or the level of developer you get paired with. Like if you're an expert, you can get joy out of teaching someone how to see things the way you saw them for the first time. If you're a novice, you get the experience of working with an expert or you get to work with someone on your same skill level and have fun. So it's yeah. like a really neat, neat concept. And I like seeing people support that. That's a really slick idea. Yeah, I love that idea. I I just don't know. I, I wish I could find more time to do stuff like that, honestly. I hear you. So I'm going to take full advantage of that at the conference because, uh, you know, like you can do remote pair programming. It's just really difficult when you work full time and you have kids and you have other things you need to do. It's really rough to get the time in there. Yeah, this is uh, this weekend, this upcoming weekend is a really good opportunity to kind of take advantage of the holiday and do do something that maybe you don't always get to do. Talk to people and, and code some stuff up, learn some new things. Absolutely. Yeah, it is kind of like a, you can kind of get a few hours to hack around. It's kind of nice at most of these conferences. I like, I like uh, answering the questions in person too, because anytime I go to like a conference, uh, Laracon or any other conference, you know, people always have like interesting questions on a project they're working on, like how they should approach a certain uh, issue or whatever. And that's always really interesting to talk about in person. It's a lot more fun than over the internet, I found. It's so hard for me because I don't know how to do anything that I haven't done before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is tough sometimes. I find a lot of times they don't even need that extra, like they don't need you to know. They almost need you to bounce ideas and kind yeah. of shed light on the things that you've done. So like, ah, yeah. I have an epiphany now. Yeah, I'm, yeah, for sure. Just to have somebody to talk at, even. Yeah. Yeah, and like I found that sometimes people will like bring their code um, to the conference and like just say, does this look okay? You know, like just like a kind of an affirmation of like, am I on the right path and usually like everything's fine, you know? So it's probably, I think it can be kind of reassuring to kind of bring your code and, you know, have someone else look at it and be like, yeah, that looks cool. That looks good. You know, it's kind of nice. I think people are a lot less afraid to show you code that they, they're not entirely sure if they're allowed to post it online, but if you're in person, you have two minutes to look at it. They're not terribly worried about you taking their stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That's a funny concept too, right? Right. Yeah. It's like um, we do take a lot of stuff though. I'm uh, I'm pulling in packages in Composer, and I'm 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 learning out of GitHub basically these days. I, everything I learn is mostly out of GitHub. Just pull up um, a repo and just check it out. Like I'm I'm digging into Ember JS and um, Pusher and Lineman lately. I just read project after project in GitHub, and I, I feel really comfortable already. And I haven't even started coding anything. Huh, that's really that's the best really cool. way to do it. I think that's the only way I could figure out what Ember Data did um, a couple months ago. Right, because like the documentation is so obtuse. Exactly. You just got to like scroll through the code and go, how do I extend this? Well, Tom Dale has a lot of really good material. And mm-hmm. if, if you go look at, like there's this blog example that they used it. Wait, was it? So did you see that Tom Dale versus uh, Connery cage match? I, I didn't watch it yet. I saw you guys talking about it the Did other day. Did you see that, Taylor? No, cage match. Like, they were literally fighting? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, basically, at this event, I'm not sure what the event was, but they had Tom Dale, who's like a lead dev of uh, Ember, and this, I think he's a tech journalist or something, uh, who was defending Angular, and they 
set it up so that one team was versus another and, oh, let's show how we do this thing and let's show how they do this thing. And they were talking smack on each other back and forth the whole time. And it was so canned, like, so, yeah. so such fake smack talking. But, uh, it was, it was kind of interesting. Basically, the lessons were you don't go up against somebody who wrote the framework, <laughs> but also, um, it kind of helped show, you know, the way Ember works and, a little bit about Angular. I, I have worked in Angular, but uh, Ember was kind of new to me, and I have a, a, a lot more firm grasp on how things go. And I don't even know how any of that made sense. But <laughs> but Tom Dale has a lot of really good material for, for picking up Ember. You can just go look at one JavaScript file, and it tells you how to do everything. Nice. So it's like re- reading the source off GitHub is so much easier a, a lot of times than digging through the documentation. The documentation for Ember, for example, should probably be more used as reference and maybe to go back and read once you're a little bit familiar with it to fill in some holes too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah, like I know anything about JavaScript. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can like alert. That's about it. It's a strange thing. Uh, JavaScript itself as a language is, is kind of strange once you get past the, the basics, but then thinking about how to structure your client-side apps is a whole other level of strange for somebody who's just done server-side development. Yeah. And everyone has different opinions on how it should look. Like, all the frameworks do things completely differently. Yeah, I swear, like, every new week there's, like, this cool new JavaScript tool, like, this cool name, and we just saw some, we just saw some this week. I can't even remember what they were called, but they always have these, like, really, like, trendy, succinct names. They're always really slick. There's like a drinking game somebody told me about today where you come up with a word and you yeah. Google that word.js and if it <laughs> exists you have to drink. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty necessary nowadays though. Like you can't really get away from doing uh, some sort of rich client application. Like I haven't touched PHP or Ruby much in the past 6 months. I've just been in like straight JavaScript. Frankly, I, I find it really enjoyable. I think it's it, it dramatically reduces the amount of code in the application for some reason. Yeah. Like writing a server-side Laravel-only application and then having the same application written with like Laravel as a API and then Angular or Ember or Backbone or whatever running the client side, it seems like the, the code base is cut down by like 30% or more. Yeah, well, that's like, I mean, that's one of the reasons in Laravel 4 we kind of went with that whole, you can just return an eloquent object or eloquent collection and, uh, you know, just get the JSON or whatever because those those JS apps are becoming so much more prevalent. And then also, like, combining that with, like, the model route binding and stuff so that it just passes you the whole model instance. Like, you can build out a nice API really quickly that way. Yeah, with resource controllers and everything. Yeah. Dude, the route model binding has been so nice for me this week. Like, I've been building the example project for my talk, and um, actually, like, I do my screencast kind of twofold. Like, I have a purpose behind what I'm building to use it for something. And uh, my buddy's band site keeps going down. I'm hosting it on my server. It's it's taken out my SQL for some reason. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm building, like, an application. I'm going to show, like, how to use the repository pattern the right way and, like, how, you know, when it makes sense to abstract it out. So yeah. I've been using the route model binding to like hook in all my uh, uh, all my models to use the dependency injection, and that's just been lovely. Like I don't have to write my before filters anymore. Yeah, I know that's so sick. I love how it gives you like the 404 error if it's not found, and gosh, it saves so much just like boilerplate. Yeah, yeah, it, that was a brilliant concept. 
Yeah, well, I can't remember where I f- the model binding. Um, that's kind of like an ASP.NET thing. They have model binding like that. But then the uh, the find or fail thing, I think, was from a Python framework. I think I don't know if Ruby has it, but or Rails has it. But um, I think Django has this like find or fail or first or fail. Yeah, Ruby is uh, find bang, and that'll that'll throw an exception. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Speaking of exceptions, Taylor, when you have a non, when you throw an exception like uh, entity not found or something, just as an yeah. example, um, how do you handle that so that you get the view back that you want? Um, you can register like an app app error and then type hint the model not found exception and then just return whatever response you want. You know what I mean? So is that how you're doing it, or you're not like necessarily redirecting or something at that point? Mm, no, I don't. Like I think I just use the default. Well, actually, in Snappy, yeah, we do have like a custom 404. So like, we would just listen for that model not found exception on our type hint on our error handler, and then just return like our custom 404 page instead of just the default uh, not found page. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. So I have I have another question. This is this is kind of a more interesting one to me. Uh, so I think that with composer dependencies and deploying Laravel 4 applications to the server, there's this sometimes a disconnect where you have service providers and whatnot in the Laravel configuration when those classes don't yet exist uh, because they haven't been pulled in from composer. Oh, yeah. So, so it complicates the deployment process because theoretically you could have a script that, that goes and says... Uh, Give me the Laravel maintenance page, and then you mm-hmm. update your code, and then you say bring the maintenance page down, right? Yeah. But in this situation, it's almost like you're forced into having another folder that has the maintenance page, symlinking that off and doing something like yeah. that. See, I think we need to make a few tweaks to the maintenance page in 4.1. Like, I think I think the maintenance stuff needs to be, like, right there in, like, index.php probably or something close to that because... It's too deep into the life cycle right now. So that's why you're hitting that error, you know, because, like, the app is booting up too much, like, for maintenance. And I think you'll get, like, the, the class not found. I think if we were able to move it up in the life cycle to where, like, almost nothing has happened, you know, somehow, then we would avoid a lot of those issues. I've, I've hit that same situation, though, actually, where, like, um, when you're deploying new code, you can't really put it down for maintenance because it's going to error out. And like I've had weird stuff like that happen. We should be getting our hands on the the SSH stuff up uh, pretty soon. Is that about ready? Yeah, that's totally ready. Um, uh, that's in the 4.1 branch. So like if you um, if you want to kind of live on the edge, just go into your composer.json file and and change the Laravel framework dependency from 4.0.x to 4.1.x. And then just Composer update, and you'll kind of be like on the kind of canary channel of Google Chrome, so to speak, of Laravel. But you'll get all the latest updates, like, you know, every few days whenever I push stuff out and any master branch uh, merges. Kind of how this works, um, let me go in a little more detail because I think there's a little confusion. With Laravel 3, we had like a master and a develop branch. And all of the Laravel 3 work, or all kind of like bug fixes and everything went on develop branch first, and then like master was just for releases. 
But with Composer, it works a little differently where all your development happens on master. That's kind of like always your bleeding edge. And then when you have a release, you actually have like a branch for that release. So if you go to Laravel um, slash framework repo on GitHub, you'll see there's a master branch and a 4.0 branch. So like all bug fixes or anything that's like non-breaking kind of minor stuff goes on the 4.0 branch so that we can push it out to everyone like a little quicker. And then like new features or features that would break anything, which we haven't had yet on 4.1, but like the SSH stuff, for instance, that goes on the master branch. So it's a little different, and I think people have been confused a little bit, like sending bug fixes to uh, master and not 4.0 or whatever, but that's kind of how that works. But yeah, you can live on the bleeding edge of any time, which is kind of a cool feature of Composer to just be able to kind of always be out there getting new features. So will the 4.0 branch just kind of stay there and for perpetuity? Yeah, it will stay there forever. So like, say we have, say we're on Laravel 4.3 and it's like, oh crap, there's some kind of like critical security issue. We need to patch like all the way back. So we'll like make the patch on 4.0, merge that into 4.1, 4.2, and 4.3. So like all all uh, people that are still writing like that old channel on compose on their composer.json file will get that 4.0 update, you know, even a year from now or whatever. Cool. Um with I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say with regards to 4.1, um were you planning on deprecating the forum HTML builder or is that going to mm. be delayed somewhere? Uh right now I guess we're going to keep it. <laughs> Uh, the only, only reason I say that is because, like, sometimes I just get what I feel like are too many pull requests for, like, the value of the component, so to speak. Or, like, it's a component that would be very easy for the community to maintain, I guess is a better way to put it. So, like, sometimes I kind of play with the idea of, like, should this be, like, um, a separate package that you can pull in, you know, kind of just kind of extract it out of the cores and put it in its own repo with its own pull requests and just kind of let the community manage it themselves, like kind of give a few community members uh, admin rights on it and just let them have at it. Mm-hmm. But um, usually I kind of like fluctuate back and forth depending on how many pull requests I've gotten like that week. Um, we had kind of an influx of them not too long ago when we had like um, a few additions, but lately it's been pretty good, so I haven't been as uh, kind of flustered with it. But <laughs> usually, I, I think it's because like I spend a lot of time on eloquent and stuff, stuff that's like really heavy and like kind of dense to work on. And um, so when I see like former HTML pull requests, it's like, oh man, you know, I'd rather be like solving this kind of like bigger issue, you know. Because the form and HTML stuff is a little easier to, a little easier to maintenance and maintain. But um, it is if like I could get other people working on that, and it's so opinionated, you know, like everyone wants their HTML just like a little bit differently. And then when when Laravel first came out, there was this big like HTML5 versus X HTML controversy, like which syntax should it have by default, and like we should have a config option that's like app dot X HTML, <laughs> and like it switches all your syntax and it was just a mess. So it's so opinionated. It's one of those things where like, I don't want to have any part of it sometimes, you know, because everyone kind of has their own little way they want to do it. But, uh, there, you know, what's nice is we do have other form packages like we did for L3, you know, where people have like objects for forms and, and other stuff. So also, I think it's really neat with composer. If you did decide to remove it, all the person has to do is add another line to their composer config when they upgrade to 4.1, and then it's basically back to back to snuff. 
Yeah, and we could just keep the same repo. I mean, even if we did do that, it could still be like Illuminate slash HTML, and you just still use that same component, and we just give some other people admin rights on it. So it would all work out pretty smooth if we did it. But yeah, I don't I think know if that's going to happen. That's still kind of tentative. Yeah, I think that could get around the uh, semantic versioning rules, too, if it was done like that. Um, yeah. That way it's not like completely cut out, but it's community managed. Yeah. It's true, too, though, that I, I wouldn't want my forms to be anything like what so many people want their forms to be like. That I'm I'm basically like, just make the form helper give me a unified API for the various input types, and I'm good. Yeah, I've never really had any issues with the form stuff, you know. Like, it, it's worked out pretty well for me, I guess. Like, I like all the old input stuff, how it will populate all that back in and... And yeah, all that's that. new with Laravel 4, though, right? Where um, yeah, all the, the flash automatic. data and stuff just works. Yeah, it's just all kind of automatic based on the name. That's pretty slick. And also how it just, just little stuff, like uh, when you say form, like put or whatever, it makes like the hidden field for the method and stuff. So I think that it's one drawback to, to the system is the fact that it doesn't handle situations past a very basic level. So it doesn't, yeah. you're not going to be able to do like relationships with checkbox arrays or anything like that. Yeah, and see, that's some of the stuff we have out on GitHub right now that it's like, I would love if someone, if the community would just take that over because um, that's kind of something it's like, that'd be a cool feature, but there's just other pressing stuff like I have to do, you know? Even so. then, maybe it's it's not a, the greatest feature because, um, you know, maybe it ties somebody into a way of building their models or something like that. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's just that there is a disconnect between what's happening automatically at a basic level, and then there's this level where you kind of just have to start implementing things on your own again, and you know maybe you're using collection contains or in array or something like that. Yeah, and like when um when people contribute to the framework, it is hard to like get in a framework mindset like, because you have like your issue you're trying to solve for your project, and a lot of times I'll see pull requests that like. It's a cool idea, but it's just it's kind of so focused like on the, what they're doing individually, like it wouldn't be a good idea for the framework as a whole, you know. And I feel like if people start adding the, the like using nested attributes on their form, uh, well their forms themselves, I feel like in a couple months we're going to start hearing a lot of complaints about how it doesn't scale. Um, Ruby's had uh, accept nested accepts nested attributes for for like a really long time. And yeah. everybody who's had a long-running app is now, like, kicking themselves for using it and extracting <laughs> everything else into form uh, form objects. So, like, mm, really, that, yeah. that extra step is not a bad thing. It's, like, people like to avoid it when they can. Yeah. But, like, it, eventually you pay for it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like a trade-off. It's the same thing if you just use an ORM and then eventually you figure out that you need a repository pattern. It, it made yeah. sense to do it at the time you were doing it, so... Yeah, another thing um, kind of unrelated we've got going for 4.1 is um, I'm just finishing up kind of like a revamped routing layer. Like the API is all the same, but under the hood it's like vastly simpler, mainly because um, like we dropped out Symfony routing and just kept the HTTP foundation and HTTP kernel. So like it was almost getting to the point where we were maintaining like two entire routing layers on top of each other because like we were kind of shoehorning Laravel's routing into Symphony routing's object model and stuff. So we dropped that out and like, I just ran some benchmarks last night, like registering like a couple hundred routes, you know, like a pretty big simulating kind of like a big routes file. 
and it was like twice as fast. So it's going to be a lot, a lot simpler and cleaner because like the object model fits what Laravel is doing and there's no kind of overhead of shoehorning it into Symphony and stuff and letting Symphony do its thing in addition to our thing. So that's going to be kind of like a, a free speed boost, uh, for larger applications. It's definitely an excellent thing to add in. I honestly, I didn't realize that. Um, Symphony's routing layer was in there for how much I looked at the the beta repos, but somebody was yeah. complaining to me that their their app was like really slow to route when they had 200 routes, and I thought they were nuts because I yeah. used to do that all the time on L3. Yeah, like, like you're doing something you, wrong. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, once you get like a ton of routes, it can it can start to bog down a little bit on the um, route registration. Like, I mean, it's not gonna like kill your whole app or anything, but it's just a little slower than it should be, I think. But yeah, we definitely. Sh- that's going to be alleviated, you know, here in a couple of months when the next version comes out. It should be a lot faster. Yeah, really cool. I think Sean dropped yeah. off there. I'm still I'm here. There. there he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's pondering deep thoughts. I was just trying to stay out of the way. Yeah, so I just finished that up, and I'll probably be pushing that up to the uh, the master branch, which is the 4.1 branch, here in the next week or so. And people, if anyone's kind of using that branch, they can start using it and kind of trying to figure out if there's any inconsistencies because it should work the exact same as the current router. And if it doesn't like that would be an issue we need to address. So, because we want to make it like pretty much transparent, I think. While while you were talking, I was thinking about how Matt was, uh, well, Matt was talking about the repository pattern and when to use it and, and whatnot. And it's interesting to me that we went from, you know, a couple weeks ago where everyone's like, you know, how do we do this? repository pattern stuff and now so many people have dived in and started figuring it all out that we have a new need which is you know when do we start using it or you know when do we keep things simple and scale it up yeah gosh i keep things simple i think people misunderstand um some of that stuff like i keep things simple a lot you know what i mean where a lot of my small little projects i'm just hacking around like in a routes file and doing stuff really quick and stuff like that, but on definitely on something like Snappy, you know, that's where I went like all out with repositories and like tried to keep things as totally clean as possible because I knew like if I didn't six months or a year down the line, we were going to have like huge technical debt. So you can get away with it being as incredibly simple up front as long as you can identify when you can or when you need to make it more complex so that you avoid a, an unpleasant situation later. Because none of us want that complexity. It's not something that we're like, oh, l- look at all these sweet design patterns. How do I fit it all in? It's You, you don't yeah. really want that complexity. It's just the alternative to having a, a well-architected app is you know, additional complexity when it comes to maintenance. So it's, it's yeah. you're all constantly balancing the, the level of complexity in the code base you know, so that you can actually work with it. Yeah. And you reach like you get re- there's like a certain threshold where like that was more complex up front, but now maintaining something as large as snappy is much less complex. You know what I mean? Than it would have been otherwise. So like there's like there's some kind of magical threshold where like there's a payoff or like there's a break even point, I guess, but identifying that can be a little tricky, especially because, you know, you're feeling really ambitious like at the time, like when you start a new project, you know, so it's like, oh, I'm definitely going to need repositories and like infinite scalability and stuff. And sometimes you can kind of jump into it a little hurt, a little fast, you know, 
I think with consulting, the thing that helped me was um, kind of making the areas where I knew I wouldn't touch it again or touch it very little, like it had low churn. I would just yeah. like pop out the feature, like get it out there, didn't really care what it looked like. And then uh, the areas where I knew I'd have to come back and implement a new feature, I'd clean that up as best as I could. But there yeah, just definitely. comes that point where you need the money. You need you need payments and you need to get other things done that are more important. Yeah. Yep. Sean, that's probably a balance that you have to fight with all the time, right? Like you have the different features that need to scale in Mom Meet Mom, but I'm sure there's areas where you can kind of like look past to get the other things done. For example, when we were when we first, you know, got the system launched, we were literally running a cron job every five minutes to run matches. And then later I had to put the cron job back to every 20 minutes and something like that. So then we started saying, oh, we better, you know, start getting this stuff run out of queue now because, you know, I could have done that from the beginning. Well, actually, you know, if I would have done that from the beginning, I would have had to do it without Laravel 4 because it was, it was built on Laravel 3 at the time. Um, so we, we said we need to start having all this new infrastructure. Uh, we, we have to start switching to the queuing or else we're not going to be able to, the server's just not going to be able to handle it. And so I took, you know, about four or five days and I, instead of just writing my own queue stuff, I translated the app from Laravel 3 to Laravel 4. Uh, which I normally would not actually recommend people doing because just upgrading a framework uh, is just so much work. Uh, even if your domain model is, is really well designed, I mean, you have all these new things that you have to deal with. You have to ask yourself, am I going to take advantage of the new features and, and change the old code? Am I going to do it all in the old style? Uh, one really cool thing about Laravel 4 is it seriously just directly supports a lot of the same old syntax as Laravel 3. Yeah. So, so I just said, I'm just going to drop all this Laravel 3 code into Laravel 4 and do nothing more than I have to to get it working. And then with every new sprint we do, I really refine one area to really you know take better use of Laravel 4. And at this point in time, I'm very glad I did it because I think this is one of those times where we were justified in making the change. The app was getting uh, more popular and, you know, it's like now is the time to do something like this before this app blows up in complexity and being able to uh, take advantage of the queues and, and things like that at that time were uh, was really important for us. So now that we've done that, we are, you know, taking advantage of the queues and, and really taking advantage of a lot of what Laravel 4 has to offer. But definitely in the early stages, we were just trying to get the site live because what what is a business without, you know, what's an online web business without a website, right? So you just have to get it up and running and then you have to decide what is the thing that's most important uh, in order to get this business to, continue, you know, have it grow. And then you just focus on that thing. And at some point in time, the thing that is most important is going to be, you know, having your statistical model uh, processing done with the queue. And it eventually it gets to that point. But for, for us, we have only two people uh, full-time on our team. And so for us, you know, there's no real opportunity to go through and just architect this glorious application out of the, at the beginning. And even if there was, what we would end up doing is designing a lot of stuff that was never going to be used and just had to be updated with every new feature anyway. So we would just end up burning through money. So I think one thing that I've really learned in the, in the past year or two uh, of running a business, uh, such a small team is write it to where, you know, it's, it works and it's clean, but never add a architecture that you don't absolutely know that you're going to need 
very soon. Yeah, it's kind of like that Yagmi principle or whatever. Mm-hmm. You you ain't gonna need it. <laughs> so I also like the term abstraction astronauts because we we seem to get a lot of those in the room where they think they need to pull everything out, but like really you can leave it in until it needs to scale out in most conditions at least. Like yeah, um, it in my job um, we have a product called Think Through Math and it teaches kids how to do um, math through like a various various different options you can do and. When they rewrote it from the .NET architecture, it was a monolithic Rails app, so it was it was and it started off small, got bigger as time went on. They started adding like multiple Sidekick servers to spin through all the jobs, and uh, you know, like now we're breaking certain things off into other services, and that's working. But if we did that from the get go, it never would have gotten launched. So, yeah, I think one of the only shouting matches I've ever gotten into with like a real live other programmer in person was um kind of on this abstraction astronaut thing where like I was in, I, we were in this conference room and I worked, I worked for a big trucking company and there was like this guy, he's a year younger than me and he's like a genius. Like he's a better programmer than I am. And, um, we were talking about like our architecture and I was kind of arguing for like a kind of a more pragmatic, uh, pragmatic, you know, you're not going to need it type approach. And he was kind of pushing me like further and further down to like this like heavily abstracted thing. And, um, he, I said that, um, you know, we needed like a street, a street address model. And he said we would need a street address line one interface, like contract for that object. And my head just like exploded. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> all I remember, I just remember yelling like street addresses don't have behavior. And I was like <laughs> screaming in this conference room. I'm sure like other people thought it was crazy, but. He's still he's still like an awesome programmer, so hopefully he doesn't listen to this and get mad at me. <laughs> but yeah, I'll never forget the street address line one interface. That was classic. There's definitely, um, I mean, you can be extremely good at programming, but miss out on some of maybe the more businessy type stuff. Yeah, I think that's pretty common in um, people who are focused in academia. Um, like we had a guy I went to school with who was absolutely brilliant, but he had. He was supposed to finish a project in one summer, and he didn't get it finished in two years. So, you know, he yeah. just like kept refactoring, 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 and it was a it was a Django project. And like you, I hope he never hears this podcast because he'll know it's him. <laughs> We're making enemies on Lair of Ohio. <laughs> yeah, I think you can't you can lose the forest for the trees. You know, at the end of the day, like customers are wanting product, or like your manager, you know. He doesn't care about street address line one interface. Like he's trying to ship like a, a useful product and we can kind of iterate on it later if we have to. So yeah, there's always kind of a balancing act, you know, of, um, we're trying to get something out there, but we don't want to build up a lot of technical debt. And, you know, it, uh, I know for me, it was always kind of like, there's always like kind of pushing back on your manager. Like we need time to think this out, but your manager can always kind of be like, go, go, go. Like let's get this out there for our customers or whatever. And, yeah, there's always kind of like this push pull in terms of like code quality versus time. I think in a healthy team, the manager is going to respect the developers enough to to give them the room that they need to do the work at that time. And yeah. then the developers are going to respect the business enough to say, okay, this business has to work so that we can get paid and that's what we're here to do. And yeah. it, it's, yeah. 
I lost my like train every, of thought, but if everyone, if everyone can kind of, yeah, in theory, yeah, like ideally that would be like the perfect scenario. But if the managers, like, for example, if you don't have that relationship, then I can totally see how developers will feel like, man, we're building this. We need to build this, all this architecture at the beginning because we're not going to have time later to do any of these things. Yeah. Um, I, I think that really having a healthy working relationship, uh, between members in, in the, in the same business, really can translate to a healthy software architecture, which translates to, of course, again, a healthy business. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was in, when I was in the enterprise world, um, I always had got really lucky on managers and had good managers. I remember, um, one of my first managers, um, he would always, he would like walk by my cube and be like, you better not be coding. Like, because he would like really push me to think out like the features beforehand, you know? And then I've, I have had other managers in the enterprise that were more of kind of like a how fast can we get this out type of thing. But um, it, it is always awesome if you can have like a kind of a good trusting relationship there where, you know, you're not feeling like super rushed where you're going to have to sacrifice like the whole code quality. And then because then a lot of times, at least in the enterprise world, they're not really keen on like letting you go back, go back and quote like refactor for a week. You know what I mean? Like it's always pushing ahead. Yeah, you you got to kind of refactor underneath the the table, kind of like behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be kind of like, yeah, like you said, kind of hidden. <laughs> you got to kind of work <laughs> it in there like a slush fund. And we at my second consultant job, we had a, a manager who never let us refactor anything, and he had a huge problem with scope creep, so we never got anything done. And I'm pretty sure yep. the project I got hired to f- finish like three years ago is still not launched. So. Yep. um like I've been really spoiled at my current job. We have a, a project manager named Tim and he understands like all aspects of the business world. Like he understands from the, the stakeholder side and the developer side. And he has a very realistic understanding of when things should get done, how long they should take. And like, if you need time to refactor something, he'll give it to you. You just have to make sure like you're not interfering with kids learning and that's, you know, you're good to go. Um, yeah. so it's, it's been a really nice dynamic where. You know, the job before that, I had a, a very there was a low trust between both the manager to developer side and developer to manager side, so things just didn't get done effectively. So yeah. a, a good manager can really make a difference. Towards the end of my kind of enterprise tenure, I was brought on to this really large, I mean, multi-million dollar project where um, it was already like a year behind when I came on, and there was like five or six people on the team, and they had brought on like two or three more, like a year and a half into the project. And like we tr- we tried to explain to the managers like, like that wasn't really helping the situation. Right. It's kind of like in that mythical man month book, I think, which is kind of classic for project management. He kind of says, like, no matter how many people you kind of add to, like, the birthing process, it's still going to, you know, take like nine months. You know, it's like either you get to a point where adding more people on the project is just complicating and detriment and detrimental to the project. And like it makes the communication much more complicated. Mm-hmm. So that was that was pretty rough. I can't remember who who coined the phrase, but um, if it's even a phrase, but there's the concept of your team mimics or your product mimics your team. So if you have uh, three teams of people working on a compiler, you're going to get a three pass compiler. You know, that kind <laughs> of concept. So yeah, yeah. Yep. I think throwing more people is never really the solution. I mean, never nothing's ever just a horsepower issue. Yeah. Yeah, rarely. It it really helps to have a senior on staff who can kind of lead the efforts for the development side. So, 
you know, you, I have been part of teams where there was just a bunch of people who had about the same amount of experience and it wasn't, you know, none of us were very impressive. And then, you know, you go into a, a shop where the, the manager obviously took some time. They, you know, reached out to the network. So they already had somebody there who was uh, really experienced, competent, who can come in and kind of lead everything. And, and it makes a world of difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I think as long as somebody can also not be afraid to kind of like take charge of something, even if there's other people on the team, as long as you can work together and kind of vibe off each other, it really helps move things along. Because if you're all like kind of sketchy on whether you want to modify code because you're worried about stepping on someone else's toes, it's really hard to get things done. Um, like we're a, we're a very flat architecture at Think Through Math, and we have um, it, like we have senior and like non-senior roles and everything, but nobody looks at it that way. It's just like, hey, do you need to touch this code? Okay, go ahead and get in there. Um, we have a code review process, and if something goes wrong, we'll just back it out of the the GitHub. You know, just like pull that commit out and push it back up, and we're good to go. Yeah, I think yeah. in some way that that also expresses a certain level of competency in your team. True. True. It definitely puts you on the fast track, though, when everything um, everything you do is exposed to the whole team. Um, sometimes, you know, you can kind of get that stage fright. You're like, do I want to do this? But after a month or two, it becomes almost refreshing because you know if you make something that doesn't quite fit in with the, the team's overall style guide, if you will, that someone's going to point it out to you and you're going to have it corrected really fast. It's really unfortunate that code review isn't a more uh, popular practice. I know. It's so good. It's like you could spend all of your time sitting in IRC every day reading everything that everybody has to say. Or, you know, your team could, uh, your company could just chunk out a piece of time and have the developers sit together and actually talk about developing. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the number one thing I push um, when I'm doing consulting work for other people when they're asking, like, how to fix something. I tell them, get on GitHub or at least Bitbucket now that they have pull request support. But just put everything where you can see it, and people can check it in, like review it. Um, you know, some companies want to make it so only a handful of people can have push access. But whether you do it that way or not, just getting it on GitHub where you can discuss it, you can make comments, you can make comments on lines. Um, somebody else can push to your branch and fix something for you if you're away for vacation. Like that stuff is great, and like it, it's been really critical to our success, I think. It's an investment in the team again as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So everything comes back to a people problem in a sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think that we're getting up to an hour or so. Uh, I just want to thank you guys both for coming on the podcast. Taylor, it's always nice to have you. And Matt, I'm looking forward to seeing you both next week in Amsterdam. Yeah, it's going to be looking great. Forward to, looking forward to seeing you guys too. It's going to be a really good time. There's going to be so many people we know that we haven't met before. It's going to be crazy. I know. I know. That's going to be awesome. Well, if you're listening, hope to see you there. Tickets are still on sale, so get 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 on that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to like spend like three days editing this thing, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrible for me sometimes. Like I, I'm not really complaining. It's fun and I like doing it. But it's like 10 o'clock p.m. right now. You after should just a throw it up. Day. Just throw it up like this. Like it's more like candid. People will laugh. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll consider coming back a little bit on the editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. All right. Yeah, see thank ya. you later.